The following audio is from a sermon series entitled, Money Matters. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Do not lay for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of the Lord. We are in a series, a sermon series called Money Matters. Um, the last few weeks we've been going through this Sermon on the Mount here in Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus has these three thoughts that are all sort of linked up by the topic of money. And what we're doing here in this series, we're aiming to adopt Jesus' perspective on money, which is something that you don't have by default. Now, I've acknowledged in the previous weeks that money is not a particularly fun topic to be preached to about, nor is it a fun topic for me to preach about, um, but it's an important topic. Now, money makes us, a lot of us uncomfortable, um, and because of that, in previous years, I, I've hardly talked about money in such a, a direct way until this very point, but it's such an important topic, and that idea of, of just kind of scraping money by isn't good because Jesus clearly makes it an important topic. Money was Jesus' number one subject throughout his gospel ministry. You go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's the number one thing that he talks about. 15% of the words that come out of his mouth have to deal with money. Now, I understand most people are are sort of repulsed when churches talk about money. It's usually talked about uh, in terms of of a building project or some sort of budget campaign trying to reach, which, by the way, uh, an update, I forgot to tell you this. We are in the middle of a building project or building (laughs) campaign, so I'm... Not trying to be hypocritical here, but we're trying to raise 30000 30, by May to take care of some of the stuff in the building. Things are going well. We've got about 45 days left to hit our goal. Moving on. See, people hate that part of church. But here's the deal. The main reason Jesus talked about church was not to talk about building campaigns or meeting budgets. Jesus talks about money because there is perhaps no bigger discipleship issue than money. In other words, there's nothing more important to following Jesus than having a correct perspective and use of money. See, when Jesus saves people from their sin, he calls us to follow him with every single part of our lives. That's actually what the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are talking about. What it looks like to follow Jesus, how we treat people. How we fight sin and temptation, how we uh, steward our money, how we pray, how we worship, how we conduct ourselves in the nitty-gritty of life. And what the Sermon of the Mount on the Mount shows us is what life looks like when Jesus has the number one spot in your heart as Lord. Now, now we, we sang about that this morning. We were saying Jesus is Lord. We profess Jesus is Lord and, and Savior. And so if that's the case, if Jesus is Lord, this is what it looks like. 
If Jesus is is number one in your heart and in your life, you live to honor him, to worship him, and to serve him with all you do and with all you have, especially your money. But there's an issue here. Because this number one place in our heart, the number one spot in our lives is not unrivaled. There is always competition gunning for that spot. Now, this is true whether you're a new believer, if you've just recently come to faith, and you're learning what it means to follow Jesus, what it means for Jesus to be Lord. It's even true if you've been walking with Jesus for decades. And this is especially true if you're not yet a Christian. There's a number one spot in your heart. And whatever is in that spot, whatever's vying for that position in your heart is what you will serve and what you will worship. Whatever it is, it owns you. Whatever it is, it masters your life. And so the question is, if we want to follow Jesus, what's the competition? What is it that's threatening Jesus' spot in my heart? Now, Jesus offers us some great insight here. He says his biggest competition for that number one spot in your heart is money. See, if you're not cautious, if you're not aware, money can easily slip in and take that number one spot in your heart and begin to rule over you. And let me tell you, it takes different shapes. It takes different forms. Oftentimes, money's influence in your life is subtle But it's profound. And when money masters you, when money drives your life, when you become a disciple of money, you begin living an impaired and enslaved life because money makes a horrible master. Now, this is why Jesus is a huge advocate for the kingdom of God. He's saying, hey, there's there's something, there's a new ruler there's, there's something better to take that number one spot in your life. And so Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount is unpacking this for us. And what we're really focusing on today is Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. It's the last verse of, of what was read where it says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, when Jesus makes the statement, no one can serve two masters, we have to first, uh, before we get to the point of what he's saying here, we have to understand the implied reality. Jesus is saying that everyone is a servant to some kind of master. Now, if you go back and look at the Greek text, this, this language that we see of servants and masters is actually takes on a little bit more intense sort of language in the original Greek. Instead of servant, the Greek actually uses the word slaves or, or doulos. And, and, and the word for master is lord, kyrios. Now, as Westerners, we cringe when we hear the language of slave and master. That that language in our context carries a lot of profoundly evil baggage. 
But that's not what Scripture is talking about in this relationship to slaves and, and masters. When, when the Old Testament or even when the New Testament talks about slaves and masters, this is a, a relationship between two people where there is definitely some sort of authority that is enforced, but it's done with dignity and respect for one another. But there's a, a more personal reason why we don't particularly like this Lord and Slave language. It confronts our deep desire for autonomy, which in an individualistic culture, which we live in, is promoted. See, we have this sort of idea that, that I'm my own man. I'm my, I'm my own woman. I'm the boss. I call the shots. I can exercise control of my life. Now, you see this all over the place. You see it in tattoos, Facebook things, right? It, the, the, the quote, this is what I was thinking about, the quote from Invictus, the poem Invictus. I am the captain of my fate, the master of my soul. But here Jesus says, you're not as autonomous as you think. You have a master. Everybody has something ruling over them that dictates and controls your life. And the biblical language for this is idolatry. And when we think of idolatry, we usually think of like, you know, you read the Old Testament, you think of these little figurines that people would worship or put out and they, you know, sit on the, on the fireplace, on the mantle, and everybody gather around and pray and worship. That, that's not what I'm specifically talking about. See, idolatry is when a good thing or a bad thing is elevated to a place above Jesus in your life. An idol is something that absorbs your affections, your imagination. It cuts into your resources. An idol is what we look to for significance, security, safety, fulfillment, joy, hope. Listen, there are are many idols out there. There there are many things that that are trying to offer you what your heart craves. It could be your spouse. It could be your kids, your career, your reputation, your body. And honestly, the list could keep going on and on and on. But money, 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 money is the most prolific idol. Now, it's not because you love the feel of the green stuff in your fingers. It's not because you love the way it smells. Money is the most prolific idol because it is a means to satisfy those deep longings that you have in your heart. Money offers you hope and security for your future. Money gives you the ability to be fulfilled and happy with stuff and luxuries. Money provides comfort, a certain sort of lifestyle, even health care. Money can give you power and significance. Just think of the way that we treat rich people in comparison to those who beg for money on the streets. See, money is a way to get to all those things your heart craves. Now, a while back, I, I had a, a couple in my missional community. And it was very clear that they had a money issue, a money idolatry going on in their hearts. 
And it surfaced time and time again with a, a repeated lack of, of generosity. I'm not going to say any names here, okay? I promise you. And it was clear that this was a, a discipleship issue. Our, our missional community sensed this, and, and they graciously stepped into the topic. Because that's what you do. That's what you, if you love your brother and sister... And you see their heart being hijacked by something that isn't God. You graciously and lovingly say, hey, can we talk about this? It seems like your affections, your energy is invested elsewhere. Like I said, it was obvious to our mission community that they had some sort of money idolatry going on. But they insisted that money wasn't the problem. And so we just kept asking questions. Like, what's going on? What, what, tell, tell us about your, your history with money. Tell us how, what, what it looked like in your family to deal with, with money. And, and what surfaced, as we kept asking these, these questions, was just the feeling that he got when he had new stuff. You know what I'm talking about? Like the feel, like, that's why people go out and do, you know, spend so much time at Target, shopping therapy. Right? What is it? Retail therapy. Right, that feeling, oh, I got, I got what I wanted. I'm able to get, gives me some sense of, of happiness or some sort of status. But she had a, a different approach to money. Where she wanted to have this sort of, this cushion in their savings account. And she, she wanted to feel comfortable and secure. And, and the bank account number reflected that. And as we talk through this, both both of them had desires that were rooted deep in their story. And, and most of your idolatry typically is. But, but they couldn't see how they were being mastered by money. And, and it's really interesting because, because this couple had telltale signs of what it looks like to be mastered by money. Here are the big, two big telltale signs if you are being mastered by money. One, you have an increasing desire for things. And two, you're constantly worried about finances. See, money either makes us jump on the hamster wheel of desire by chasing stuff. And we've actually talked about this mostly in the last couple of weeks. Right? We're filling our garages and our homes. We're taking these extravagant vacations, these luxuries. We keep upgrading and, and, and adding things to our lives. And here's how money proves itself to be a cruel master, because there's never enough. Right? You get what you want, and then it's on to the next thing. Right, you're on your dream vacation and you're there thinking about, I've got to go to work and I've got to make this sale to take the next vacation. You set your goal, you achieve it. Just another goal. And here's the vicious cycle. To keep up with what you desire, with what you want, with what money can offer you, you start working longer hours. Your priorities start to shift. Family time starts getting cut into. You're not having meals together at the dinner table anymore. Everything's happening on the go. Now, if you're, if you're doing this at work, right, if you're, if you're on the, the hamster wheel of desire, you're probably not thinking like a missionary at work. 
right? You're, you're not thinking about how I can love my coworker and help lead them to Jesus because you're thinking about how to make that next sale. Priority shift at home. Then, then next, you've got to work on Sunday mornings. Mr. Community sort of falls on the back burner and trimmed out, out of your life. You can work a little bit longer hours that way. You look at mission and what's going on, community. It's not profitable, right, in, in a monetary sense. And so you, you, you take yourselves out of this, this place of accountability, place where people really want to love you and care for your soul and help you follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And, and with a lack of this accountability, you start making compromises. Not, not just the priority shifting, but you're, you start making compromises with your character. You, you make a shady deal. Or you take advantage of somebody. All for a dollar. You're chasing desire. You're chasing the stuff. So that's the first sign that you've been mastered by money. Or... Money might master you in a different way. It causes relentless worry. And you probably know what I'm talking about. That that pit in your gut when you start thinking about money. Instead of spending and, and pursuing the things you desire, you save to combat the worry and the uncertainty of the future. You look out there and you, you realize there are unknown threats. So you start tucking money away. You're, you're even hoarding it. You're stashing big amounts of money either under your mattress, 401ks, or in IRAs. You're saving. is driven by fear, right? It's, it's, what if I don't have what I need? This fear of something bad happening to you, and you, it leaves you stranded and broke. And in, in real time, it just stresses you out. It makes you tense. It's hard to have a good time. Because you think, the first thing you think about is, how much is this going to cost me? You can't have friends. What, what do they need from me? What, what, if, what if they get in a pinch and they start asking me to help them in some way? You're constantly tense. You don't have great friends. Your relationships are, are sort of deteriorating. The future scares you. And so in anxiety, you just start pinching pennies. Now, hear me out here. I, I'm not saying that saving is bad. That I'm, not, I'm not saying that planning for the future is sinful. Nor am I telling you to go cash out any sort of savings that you might have right now. That would be probably unwise. At least talk to your mission community before you do something like that. Because Proverbs 13, 16 says that it's, it's wise for us to think and plan ahead, right? To co- count the cost now so we'll be prepared later on down the road. And Proverbs 6 actually admonishes the sluggard who doesn't work now for the purpose of future. But it's a tightrope, friends, because this, this wisdom, this prudence can easily hyperextend into faithlessness. Here's what I mean. If you have money, what do you need God for? If you have money, what do you need God for? Money opens doors. Right? If you've been watching the news, right? money can get you to any, any college you want. 
can pave a way for any opportunity you seek. Money is power. You get in trouble with the law, you've got money. You can hire a lawyer, fight your way out of it. If you don't like the legislation, you can lobby, change the law. If you have money, you you get sick, you don't need to pray. Just go to the hospital. Go see a doctor. Looking for a honey? You got money. Gets you connected to the people you want to be connected to. Money can wipe the slate clean. It can cover up your wrongdoings. Right? You go bribe somebody. Get the sense of of feeling guiltless. See, whatever, whatever situation arises, if you have the money, you have a means to deal with it. Makes God sort of irrelevant. See, but worry can make you over-save. M- money can keep you from trusting God, not just with the future, but this very moment. Because in your mind, you think, I don't really need God for my future for today because I've already taken care of it. When Jesus tells us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, it's like, I've already gotten care- taken care of. I don't need to pray for that. We've stored things up for a comfy and confident future. Doing everything in our power to avoid the feeling of being needy. Which, by the way, if you don't feel needy, you never will realize your need for grace. You'll never realize how important it is for you to rely on God. If worry and anxiety is driving your financial decisions, money has mastered you. You've either become over-concerned with saving, and you've neglected generosity and investing eternal. You've lost perspective on life. I, I don't know if I have the slide this week, but, but remember the dot that represents your life and then the line that extends into eternity? You're living for the dot. And in doing so, you've probably missed the chance to bless someone with what God has entrusted to you. See, we we don't think like that. God could very well be giving you money to provide for somebody else. And instead, we hold on to it. We we save it for ourselves. Now, this, this doesn't just apply to the people who have money. This applies to people who feel like they don't have money, right? This constant sense of worry. Where is the money going to come from to fix my car? How am I going to pay for this next medical bill, my kid's education? That anxiety, that worry becomes so crippling that you can start beating yourself up. That that your sense of self-worth starts losing value because you don't have that number in your bank account. You start thinking, I'm a failure. I should have done better. I shouldn't have made those dumb purchases. And now I've got to just sit here and here are my consequences. See, money makes a cruel master. And this is why Jesus says you cannot serve God and money. They are incompatible co-pilots for your life. 
Let me again just take us back to verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now listen, I, we hear that, and, and there's a little rebel in our hearts that says, hold my beer. Watch me, right? Maybe you've had two jobs before, right? I've been able to swing two jobs. I've had two bosses. I've been able to juggle and make things work. And so we say, well, then why can't I have Jesus as my Lord and Master on Sunday morning from 10 a.m. to 11.30 and then chase paper the rest of the week? Well, why couldn't I, I do that? And in fact, a lot of people spend their, their life in the pews doing just that. They join the church in professing Jesus as Lord, but then how it practically works out, what what they're functionally giving their life to as Lord is money. They're being mastered by money because it has the number one spot in their life. Now, this is why the slave-master language is so crucial for us to understanding this passage. The number one spot in your heart is singular. It is non-shareable. It is either God or money, but it definitely cannot be both. In fact, you think about this is the first commandment, right? Of Of the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. And that can be said, you should have no other gods before me, beside me, or behind me. That's God saying that. There is only one ultimate master of your life. And listen, here's how, here's how you know what it is. Whatever is Lord, whatever is master of your life, you are becoming like it. You become what you behold. You are what you love. And Jesus says you will either, either love one or despise the other. And what you serve shapes you. See, the reason why you cannot serve both God and money is because they produce completely and radically different products. If money is your master, it produces greed, the sense of desire that we need to keep accumulating things, or produces worry, anxiety. This, this sense of tight-fistedness that I've got to hold on tight because I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. Now, in Matthew 19, just a few pages pass, and you don't need to flip there unless you want to, but Jesus has this famous interaction with this rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus and he says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit, to, to, to gain eternal life. And Jesus says, well, you know, keep the commandments. He's like, well, which ones? You know, love, you know uh, don't commit adultery, um, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus kind of lists off a few of these commandments. And the, the young ruler says, man, I, I've done that. I, I've kept those commandments since I was a kid. D- does that mean I'm in? Does that mean I've, I've inherited eternal life? And Jesus says, no, actually... Go, go sell everything you have. Go sell what you have. Give it to the poor. 
and then you'll have treasure in heaven. And now, usually people stop there, but, but this is important here. Because Jesus says, after that, go sell what you have, give it to the poor. And he says, then come follow me. Now, if you know the story, you know what happens next. Right? That's sort of a, that's a hard thing to wrap your mind around, right? You want to talk about thing, hard things that Jesus says, that's one of them. That ranks probably in the top five. So what happens? This young ruler, he, he walks away sorrowful because his possessions were great. He walks away sorrowful because he had a lot of stuff to sell and he didn't want to do it. Do you see what Jesus is doing here in this interaction with this rich young ruler? Jesus is revealing what sat in the number one spot in his heart. He, he was showing what his master was. And in doing so, he showed that he was enslaved to his stuff. Right? He was blind, right? We talked about that last week. His money had made him blind where he missed out on Jesus. Now, there may not be anything more sad than this, where, where Jesus is right there in front of him, and he opts for something else. He walks away. Now, some of you are like this rich young ruler. Jesus is calling you to come follow him, to live your whole life in devotion, in service to Jesus. But instead, you're being mastered by your money. You're being worked over by worry and greed. And listen, that's what it means to be a slave, to be enslaved to money. And that's not the good life, friends. No matter how many boats you have, no matter how big your house is, that's not the good life. No matter how much money you have saved up in that, that savings account, that's not the good life. It's an impaired life. And Jesus says something, man, that just kicks you right in the shin. He says, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of God. Now, only with difficulty will a person mastered by their money inherit the kingdom of God. He says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle. This interaction that Jesus had shocked his disciples. They were thrown off by this. They asked them, you know, if this rich young ruler who seems to follow the rules, if he's got the money, if he's got some sort of social accolades within our context, if he cannot enter the kingdom of God, if he's not going to, who then can be saved? Right? Because the disciples know what we know. Money opens doors. Money makes things happen. Money gives us security and power. And Jesus looks at him and he says, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. See, when you're looking for money to do what only God can do, it's impossible. Money's going to leave you high and dry. You think you're pursuing security and then stock market crashes. You think money's going to make you happy? By accumulating stuff, it breaks, wears out. 
The new iPhone gets released. You want comfort? Won't happen. The only way to get free from the destructive influence of the faulty master of money is to turn back to the true master. That's the only way. But listen, Jesus isn't a master who says, come bow before me. Come, you peasant, and kneel at my throne. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus is the master who did not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus doesn't ask for your servants, your allegiance, without first laying down his own life to meet your deepest needs. You see, because as we turn to other masters, that, that's sin. As we look to money to rule our life and to be our Lord, whether it's money or your kids or your spouse or your career, whatever it is, that's sin against God. Because what that says is, God, you're not good enough for me. So Jesus comes and he pays the price for our sin of serving other masters by by occupying ourselves with greed and with worry. And listen, Jesus, it's so funny. See, Jesus Jesus doesn't ask, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to inherit the kingdom? Jesus says, what must I pay so they can get eternal life? And God says, you got to go to the cross. That, 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 that's the only way. And when Jesus saw the cost that it was going to cost him to, to, to lay his life down, to go up on the cross, to pay for the sins of humanity, for our rebellious and wandering hearts, he, when he heard the cost, he didn't walk away like the rich young ruler did. See, Jesus is the true and better rich young ruler who instead of walking away with his treasure, he gives up his treasure. He counted the cost and he said, it's totally worth it. Totally worth it. So by his life, by his death, by his resurrection, he ransomed us. He he bought us from the slavery of money or whatever idol that is controlling and, and lording over your life. And he freed us. Now, no other master is gonna do that. Every other master, any other thing that's occupying that number one spot in your heart is going to say, you go die for me. But Jesus says, I'll die for you. Don't you want to serve that kind of master? Now, as I close, here are three ways that you can tell if God is your ultimate master, if he's actually sitting in that number one spot in your heart. The first question is this. Are you repenting? Are you repenting when other masters are fighting for that spot in your heart and they succeed? Do you, do you look in, at your life and see, yeah, my heart's been hijacked here. Right? I've, been, I've been looking to this for security, for comfort, for, for uh, I can't think of anything, of security, comfort, 
for status. So we talked about this. That's what Zacchaeus did last week. Zacchaeus had Jesus standing in his living room, and all of a sudden he realized, oh man, I've been blowing it. And he repents. Now listen, repentance isn't just confessing our sin. It's not just saying, oh man, I've got a money problem, I know it. Repentance is saying, I have a money problem. Money tends to take over my heart. I'm going to fight against that by putting God there. And the only way to fight against greed, the only way to fight against worry, is by believing the gospel and giving. The next question is this. Who do you trust? Do you trust God? If he's the number one spot in your heart, then it makes perfect sense when you move down from Matthew 6.24 to Matthew 6.25, where he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you put on. Life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, yet they live, uh, yet, they, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And he goes on. It's like, for the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For today will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. See, who are you trusting? Can you let go of worry, of anxiety, and trust God? If you do trust God... It means that you realize that God is more attentive to your own needs than you are of your own needs. He's looking out for you. And the third question, is your money serving Jesus? If Jesus is the Lord of your life, he's the Lord of your wallet too. Are you using your money in a way that serves God's mission? Are you using your money in a way that that is like ammunition blowing holes in the gates of hell? See, this is how God wants you to invest your money. In living generously, God wants to use what he's given you to help others know the riches of Christ. Now listen, it's a hard thing to debunk, to to push out that ruler of your life and to let Jesus move into that spot. It's a hard thing. But here's the promise that Jesus leaves us with after his dialogue with the rich young ruler in Matthew 19. This is verses 28 through 30. He says, truly I say to you, in the new world, in the new heavens and the new earth, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne... When he's sitting on the throne in your heart, you who have followed me 
will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold. Will receive one hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. See, this is the promise that Jesus gives us. See, when, when Jesus is our Lord, when He's our Master, when He has that one, number one spot in our heart, He gives us the desires of our heart. That Jesus Himself is our security, our comfort. That Jesus himself enables us to be generous people because we have received the generosity of Christ. So what are you going to serve? Are you going to serve money? Are you going to let that master you, push you deeper and deeper into greed and worry? Or you will, will you be freed from that slave master and say, Jesus, you're my Lord. Father, we pray that you help us take these words to heart, that we see the seriousness, see the importance of money in our own discipleship. That, that really money can either stand in the way of us coming to you, or it can be a, an awesome tool for, for pointing out how our lives are entrusted and in service to you. God, I pray that you would make us a people who would say, Jesus is my Lord, and not just profess it with our mouths, but mean it deep in our hearts, that we would be people repenting of our sins when, when we try to, to make other things our masters. Father God, that we would trust you so thoroughly that we don't have any need to be anxious or worry about today or the future because we know that you have got it taken care of. And Father, would you help us to loosen our grip on our things, on our money, so that we can contribute to the mission, that we can be part of your mission and making your name known in the Quad Cities. That other people could find a new and compassionate master in Jesus instead of being mastered by their money. And God, would you be glorified in this? We ask this uh, in Jesus' name. Amen.